everybody. Welcome to Lit. I know this is kind of a bonus episode, uh, but some really cool information came out. So Honest Matthew S. is joining me again to talk about it. Thanks again for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. So a few days ago, we talked about George Orwell's 1984. Had a great, great discussion. And then not even two days later, somebody tagged me in a tweet, which contained an article that this lady is going to rewrite a feminist rendition of 1984 from Julia's perspective. What? What the fuck? It sounds delightful. So delightful. <laughs> I can't wait. So let's kind of look at this article together. So American writer Sandra Newman's novel, Julia, will tell the dystopian story from the perspective of, Wh- of Winston Smith's lover. Uh, what are your thoughts just here in that? So... On the, if it wasn't for the political time that we're in currently, this could be great. Because if you remember in the last video, I, one of my main criticisms was the fact that Julia is kind of a non-entity. Like, she's there, but she doesn't do a lot. She doesn't have a whole lot of personality other than, you know, she's just being in a pairing with uh, Winston. Right. And we could have got, I feel like we could have got a real interesting, uh, I mean... Who knows? Like, she hasn't actually written, I haven't actually read it, so maybe she'll surprise all of us and actually just do a good telling, but it would be very interesting to know what were her motivations in giving Winston that note? Like, was that some kind of form of suicide? Was that like a desperate cry for like, I need a human connection or I'm gonna kill myself type thing? Do you wanna have sex right now? Do you wanna have sex with me right now? Let's go! Like suicide by cop almost. Like, Like, he's either gonna, respond positively to this or I'm just he's gonna not and I'm gonna be dead either way so my understanding was just from 1984 alone was that Winston wasn't the first person that Julia reached out to like that like she was basically stripping everybody in the ministry of truth wasn't that what Winston was speculating on he said I don't care how many men you've been with but I don't know if she ever actually I don't remember if she ever actually said he could be an unreliable narrator. Well, he could just be assuming because she's hot and she did this with him. So That's fair. And it's yeah. not like he's hot. Yeah, well, yeah. Like a girl, an attractive woman making advances on you like that. You know, you ha- your first assumption is going to be this isn't the first time she's done this. Look, this isn't my first rodeo. But it may very well have been. Rodeo. If, uh, see, this all would be interesting to explore in the book. Maybe it wasn't the first time. I mean, there's a right. whole other way to go about this. Right. So let's see what Sandra Newman's plan is. So, of course, we remember the opening line. It was a bright, cold day in April and the clocks were striking 13. That line always stands out to me because you immediately know something is wrong. So here's a quote that she writes. It was the man from records who began it. Him all unknowing in his prim, grim ways, his above it all old think way. He was the one sign called Old Misery. You're not happy unless you're miserable. Bingo! I don't know if Winston was ever referred to as Old Misery in 1984. Maybe that's just her new rendition. Yeah, I don't I don't recall him being called. He might have been. That's true. We don't um, really get a good glimpse of too much of his work life. That's There's true. Yeah, so we don't see than- the interactions between them. So that I'm not bothered by that. Right. Uh, very much. And this might actually speak to why she's attracted to him. This, this speaks to like 
what draws her to him specifically in the first place. Mm, that's a good thought. He's kind of like this old curmudgeon. Yeah. I don't know well, how that's he's attractive. A, <laughs> he's a piece of uh, like history almost. Like mm. It's the same way you know women are attracted to older men, but I imagine even more so in this like dystopian hellscape because maybe maybe he remembers better days or something maybe there's right something... because she wouldn't know a time yeah. before big brother he wouldn't yeah. that's a good point all right and then it goes on comrade smith was his right name although comrade never suited him somehow interesting of course if you felt foolish calling someone comrade far better not to speak to them at all so she's kind of thinking okay maybe i should be careful with what I do and what I say, she clearly didn't think very hard about it. Yeah. Well, this uh, this all kind of points in the direction of what my initial theory of this book is at least going to be structured in the direction of. I don't know how well they're going to do it, mm-hmm. but it looks like this is not. This would be her first time doing when she passes the note to him. If she's being right. all cautious like this, this is likely her first time making a move like that. That's a good point. Yeah, if, she, if Newman is going to write from this perspective, it will suggest that Winston Smith is the first guy she's ever tried to reach out to like that. So in some ways, she being Julia was far more acute than Winston and far less susceptible to party propaganda. She also stirred a sort of envy in him by telling him that during the two minutes hate, her great difficulty was to avoid bursting out laughing. Now that sounds like a very feminist take. It's like, oh no, I don't buy it. I'm still going to do it because it's funny. (laughs) Uh, There are a couple of ways to interpret this, I think. Uh, It could be that she's trying to, the author here is trying to suggest that it's not just Julia, right? There's, Mm -hmm. There's more people like this. Julia is kind of like a representation of like almost your your average woman at least until she passes the note to winston then she's above average but this to me kind of suggests like subtextually that it might be there might be more like her and winston everybody's Mm -hmm. just good at holding their tongue because like winston says in the book there's a small corner of your mind or whatever that they can't reach right and that could be a fairly common thing and everyone's just playing their role because you have to you have or to, or you, get, <laughs> or you get vaporized. Yeah. Nobody wants that. All right. But she only questioned the teachings of the party when they in some way touched upon her own life. Now, I think this is very relevant to modern day. People will go along with the status quo until it starts messing with them personally. Then mm. everybody's up in arms. Um, I'm just thinking of like whenever I, when I hear that, I'm thinking of like the kids who like they get sent off to college mm-hmm. and then they come back and they hate their parents and they hate their family and they're all bigots and racists and all that <laughs> stuff. That's a good point. So, but th- this actually, it, uh, this line in particular, I think bespeaks that she has a like a stronger foundation or maybe a stronger connection to her family. Maybe something the party didn't intend mm. because it's, it's not necessarily a perfect system, right? If people like Winston and Julia exist, and the right. system has holes in it because these people are still out there. Or Goldstein, right? Or Goldstein, right. Yeah. So the system is not necessarily perfect. And these people with the connections to their family or the connections to the old world, 
these people are holes in the system and they're trying to, it's like a leak in a boat, you know, you're trying to plug it up and right. pump out the water. That's a good point. Okay. I like that perspective. This one right here really gets me. Often she was ready to accept the, the official mythology simply because the difference between truth and falsehood did not seem important to her. That does sound like the Julia from the book. <laughs> it does, because when he was sitting there trying to read her the very boring Goldstein pamphlet, yeah. she just really didn't care. Yeah, and she was not to be honest, I didn't either. <laughs> no, none of us. I don't think any of the readers really did. Like, we get it, okay? Big brother, bad. But the fact that she says the line, the difference between truth and falsehood did not seem important to her. Which... If you care about the fact that you're being oppressed, if you care about the existence of doublethink, shouldn't the difference between truth and falsehood matter? That's the whole point of two plus two equals five, right? It yeah. does not equal five. That's to say that would be false. To suggest that it doesn't matter is to very much go along with the ideology of the party. And the truth shall set you free. Yeah, the thinking there is definitely flawed on her part. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if she doesn't mean telling the truth doesn't mm. matter. Like, because the party's gonna, this is the problem, the complaint I had about Winston when he was being tortured. He was asking about how many fingers he was holding up. I'm like, mm -hmm. just lie to him, dude. That's what he wants. Right. He wants you to lie convincingly. I mean, obviously, he wants you to believe it or whatever, right. but people can lie convincingly enough to where. It's acceptable. I mean, people cheat lie detector tests all the time. It's why they're not admissible in court. So, That's true. This How often do you got to tell a lie, though, before you yourself truly believe the lie? That is a good question. I think it. I think stuff like that varies from person to person. Sure. Uh, you know, people who are more weak-willed or just apathetic about whatever lie they're telling might be more susceptible to just believing it eventually. Mm. And it also depends on what you're lying about too. Right. Like if you're if you have a coworker that you severely dislike, right? And you're right. Try, you're lying when you're trying to be polite to them. <laughs> you know, because that's a dishonest representation of you. You can still manage that for quite some time and never really grow that much fondness for your coworker that you dislike. Right. But here She's talking about the official mythology. What does she mean by that? The, uh, I think that might, is that the double think I would imagine. Right. So double think really has no meaning to her at all. It seems like she'll, she'll say two plus two equals five. It doesn't really matter to her. Not like she, it really what she needs to, to survive. Yeah. Which she She's younger than Winston, so that makes sense that she would adapt to that pretty quickly in, That's a good uh, point. in a world ruled by this party. And maybe she hadn't really considered any of this until she actually talked to Winston, because it says right here, she had known no other world, and until she meets Winston, never imagined one. Wow. She's opportunistic, believing in nothing, caring not at all about politics. That sounds like a lot of people today believing in nothing, caring yeah. not at all about politics. Yeah. Well, politics is an icky game, and and it is icky. that is not an accident, by the way. The less pe the more people you get that are not concerned with politics, the easier it is to use cheap slogans to manipulate yep. them. So you want like 
people and politicians, the media, they want to make it a really messy game so that way people aren't paying attention or as few people as possible are paying attention. That's fair. It, it just makes me sad because then people don't know what they're signing themselves up for. Yes. Well, uh, the, the thing that always cracks me up is that anyone, regardless of what political affiliation you have, is anyone would believe a politician isn't lying to you to some extent. And right. whatever the requisites are based on your party affiliation, you have to put that much amount of faith that they're going to do whatever they say they're going to do in them with what authority you give them. So the fact that anyone believes anything that politicians say just baffles me. I mean, that's, you don't get good people running for office these days. Definitely not these days. We don't have the George Washingtons who are willing to give up power. Yeah. Anymore. We got I know we can't even get uh, term limits established. Right? Uh, conversation for another time. Yeah. What, what concerns me here is the believing in nothing. So she has no faith, no grounding in really anything. She's not grounded in the party, so I guess that's good at least. She doesn't believe in the party. She doesn't believe in the idea of Big Brother. But to believe in absolutely nothing, I don't know, that's a very sorry sort of life. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think th this actually works for her character at the age that she's at and mm -hmm. where she exists within this world. Like, it makes sense that, well, it's it's interesting that she is able to resist some of the indoctrination, but not quite all of it, right? They've clearly right. taken something out of her from the indoctrination, but they just haven't got all of it. And these the scraps of her own personality or her own you know, thought process uh, manifests themselves when she's talking to Winston or when she's talking about Winston. Right. And the fact that she feels compelled to reach out to him. That's the stuff that, again, going back to the not perfect uh, system that right. they're trying to establish and they're trying to plug the holes. This is a gap in the, uh, in the system. They haven't perfected the brainwashing yet. <laughs> not quite yet. Yeah. Because she's going along to get along. I mean, she outrightly says Julia's very opportunistic, which goes along with, I think your hypothesis that she doesn't care about truth or falsehood. She's going to just going to do what she needs to do to survive. And that can create a very nihilistic and pessimistic attitude to where you believe in that, like what God would allow this type thing. Right. You know, you would be, you'd be very nihilistic. You'd be very pessimistic about the way of the world and you would just be, yeah, wanting to, because what can you do? You're one person. I mean, we see what happens to them at the end of 1984. And mm -hmm. it's, yeah, you're one person standing up against this massive machine that's just grinding people up. It's like, who are you? You can right. survive, sure. But what does that mean? Nothing you do matters. Your existence is a lie. Right. What is it? There's a difference between surviving and living. Yes. All right. So just to go on, it says she routinely breaks the rules, but also collaborates with the with the regime whenever necessary. She's an ideal citizen of Oceania. Oceania. So I think you're right. She's just going along to get along. I find surviving. it interesting that she's breaking the rules where she can. That sounds very, very dangerous. Right. You know, one slip up and they got you. And it doesn't take much. That's a good point. So it then begs the question, what are these rules that she's breaking? 
but the party doesn't feel move, like compelled to move against her until she makes the move with Winston. Yeah. What are these, I guess, minor crimes? I know. these. If these there could be a minor crime. crime when you get arrested for thought crime. I know. That does beg the question, like, what what has she been doing? And has she just managed to not get caught? That would be really interesting. Or are they waiting for her to commit something worse before they bring her in? Like, if I was running the totalitarian state, any infraction would be like, all right, enough of that. (laughs) Enough of that. Yeah. You thought about macaroni and cheese. You're not supposed to think about that. To the Ministry of Love with you. Because it becomes a thing. Like, if you start noticing a pattern in someone, like, if she's breaking the rules wherever she can, it's like, how many times has she done that? And then who is she influencing? Yes. That sounds very dangerous. If Big Brother were to know about that, I feel like she would have been picked up already. So she must be. Like I said, it depends on how many times she's gotten away with it. Interesting. Interesting. So then one day she finds herself walking towards Winston Smith in a long corridor. She impulsively hands him a note, a potentially suicidal gesture. Okay. Kind of going back to what you were talking about. She comes to realize that she's losing her grip and can no longer safely navigate her world. Ah, so that should uh, suggest that she has been flying under the radar. Right. But she just can't tolerate anymore. Like, she's starting to crack up. Like, she's suffocating under the pressure. I don't blame her. It sounds awful. <laughs> right. Yeah, I this don't blame be, her. This either. is what I'm saying, though. This could be great. If, if right. you have a good non-political author doing this, this could be a very compelling story. I'd be very fascinated to read it. Which... Whenever it comes out, we may have to read it and do a whole nother episode about it. No, but what if it's awful? (laughs) Well, what if it's awful? Well, then we should talk about why it's awful. (laughs) No, I know. So it looks like just talking about Orwell's estate, it looks like they've been looking for some time for someone to kind of pick up and carry on with the story and talk about Julia. Uh, Two of the unanswered questions in Orwell's novel are what Julia sees in Winston and how she navigated her way through the party hierarchy. Which is the question we had. We felt like yes. she was underdeveloped. Uh, and we want to know what these minor crimes are that she's committing and getting away yeah. with. Absolutely. That could be very... In- I mean, you talk about a, a thrilling read. You know, right. we already know how intrusive Big Brother is. Imagine someone, like, getting away with these little crimes that could get her killed at any moment. Or get her snapped up and taken off to the Ministry of Love. Mm-hmm. You know, that could be very thrilling, very compelling. And very right. much keep you on the edge of your seat. Even if you already know, it's kind of like a movie about like a disaster or whatever, where you already kind of know what's going to happen at the end, but you're right. still on the edge of your seat watching it as you things are wonder. taking place. It's about the journey, not the destination. Yes. It, it could be really good, but like you said, I'm hesitant. So mm-hmm. just a little bit about the author. It said, Julia will be published after Granta releases Newman's new novel, The Men, in which every single person with a the Y man. chromosome vanishes from the world. Sounds like a feminist dream. <laughs> Sounds like a feminist dream. So here's a picture of Sandra Newman uh, from her literary agent website. And it says that Julia is scheduled to come out in May 2024. Oh, not that far off. Not that far off. Well, we'll see. We'll see. 
based on the description alone, I have a little hope, but considering what the author has written previous to this, I have concerns. Yeah, I don't know much about her repertoire, so, or her background. It's interesting that someone would feel compelled to write a book about a world with no men. I feel like there was a movie about that, right? And it was like, they found the last man on earth and yeah, poor guy. Yeah, that, that could be uh, a red flag. But again, it's one of those things where it's like, if it's done right, I feel like those kinds of stories are pretty lame. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, what if what if all the men or what if all the women suddenly disappear? It's like, whatever. That's you know such a weird happen? hypothetical. I'm just, the human race goes extinct. That's what happens. Yeah. It's like, it's not that interesting. Stuff no, like, uh, what was it? Children of Men. The movie mm-hmm. where like people couldn't have kids anymore. That's interesting. Right. Like, people got some kind of disease or whatever that prevented them from having kids and then they couldn't have kids anymore. That was interesting. It's like, okay. Then someone now has a kid, and then it's like, oh, this is the miracle baby. Right. Stuff like that can be compelling, but all the people of one gender or the other just suddenly disappearing, that's like, okay, what are we going to do now? Right. I don't know. It sounds like Julia could be interesting. I have hesitations. What does everybody at home think? Let us know down in the comments. Are you excited for Julia? Are you nervous about the possibility of a feminist rendition of a classic 1984 novel? We'd love to hear about it. And don't forget to check out our latest episode talking about 1984 in detail. Any last thoughts, Matt? Uh, I think we pretty much covered everything. The only thing I would add is... Well, yeah, just like you said, I'm cautiously optimistic about it. And I would very much like for it to be good. I think it has potential. Like, the material is there. The question is whether or not she can put it together and actually make a compelling story. And that's what I'm hoping for. So I would very much like for it to be good. But, yeah, I'm a little nervous like you. It's nerve-wracking, but hopefully we'll see a good book out of it. And if not, we'll have good content to tear it to pieces. Yeah. Uh, See you later, everybody. Bye.